Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I am Mike. I am the student ministries pastor here. I've been serving here on staff for, I don't know, 13, almost 13 years now, if you can believe that. It's hard to believe that. Um, but today we're going to be looking at this whole, this, our question today, let's just get into it. Our question today is what's holding you back? What's holding us back? What's holding me back? Like, what are those things that hold us back? And as we talk about this, this is, this is one of those questions that we need to reflect on and go back to again and again and again in our life. We never really land on the answer to this because it's always changing for us. But it's a really important question. It's, an, it's a question that has, has played a significant part in my life multiple times. And, you know, quite honestly, one of the most significant times it played in my life was roughly... 26, a little over 26 years ago. Look at that picture. <laughs> About 26 years ago, I was meeting regularly with Pastor Steve. I was fairly new uh, to Durwood. Um, I'd been dating Anna. That's Anna right there. That's my wife. And we'd been dating for a little while. We met here at Durwood in the young adult ministry here. And I mean, honestly, I had decided fairly early on that this was who I was going to marry. Assuming she said yes, of course. I mean, that, that's a pretty big part of that. But assuming she said yes, she was the one. And, I, and, you know, time went on. I was meeting with Steve. And finally, he was like, You're, you say this is the one you, you want to marry her, right? And I was like, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. He's like... What are you waiting for? What's holding you back? And I didn't have a good answer to that question. It's kind of like, ah, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe fear or, you know, fear of commitment. Whatever, whatever it was, it wasn't a very good answer. Not too long after that, July 3rd, Germantown fireworks. Pulled a ring out of my pocket. And I asked her to marry me. And she said, I'll think about it. No, I'm just kidding. She said yes. She said yes. <laughs> and this year we will celebrate our 25th marriage anniversary. Yeah. Woo-hoo. That's one of those times where that question really changed the course of my life. What's holding you back? This question, we need people asking us this question. In all areas of life. But there's probably not an area that we need to be asked this question more often than in regards to engaging others with the gospel. And now, I'm not just talking about evangelism, although evangelism is certainly part of that. I mean every area of our lives. Every area. I mean being challenged and encouraged to grow in our knowledge, wisdom, and obedience to Christ and helping others to begin and continue that journey as well. That's what we call discipleship. But discipleship didn't just spring up out of nowhere. It begins with a call that leads to a lifelong mission. And that's kind of where we're going to begin today. In Mark chapter 1, we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we see him begin to call people to follow him. 
So in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, we read this. Now, after Jesus was arrested, no, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending mending the nets. And immediately he called to them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with, with the hired servants and followed him. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to your word today knowing that our limited minds, our mortal limited minds, cannot comprehend your truth without the help of your Holy Spirit. Without your spirit opening our eyes to it and guiding us and making us new and conforming us to the image of your son. And so, Father, we we ask this morning that you would give us your wisdom. Help us to see it. Help us to hear what you are saying to us. Lord, help us to follow you. In Jesus name. Amen. So what we see here is the beginning of this ministry. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now the kingdom of God, this is one of those, this is one of those concepts that we need to kind of hone in on because lots of people throw these terms around. We're going to look at, we're going to define a couple of different terms today because they get thrown around a lot. And I I think we, we get confused as to what we're actually talking about when we talk about these terms. So I want to be clear with, with what I'm saying when I use a term like the kingdom of God, when I use the term the gospel, when I use the term discipleship. We need to make sure we're all on the same page so that when I say, say these things and when you hear them, we're, we're connecting, we're actually communicating, and we're not missing one another. So the kingdom of God, this is, this is uh, how, how we define that. The kingdom is the reign and rule of God that is exercised in heaven. You see that part in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So it's exercised in heaven, entered the world through Jesus, and continues by the power of the Holy Spirit and through his people, and will be fully established on earth when Jesus returns. So... There's two aspects to the kingdom that we got to keep in mind. There's an aspect of it that's right here and right now. And it's what Jesus was announcing in this passage. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It came with Jesus. He brought the kingdom with him. And there's a work of the kingdom that's happening right now through the work of the Holy Spirit, through his people, as his spirit saves us. As we are called into it through the gospel, we'll define that term in a minute. So there's a work now. We see that in Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says, He has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The father, through the work of Jesus, through the forgiveness that comes when we put our faith in him by grace through faith, we are transferred from darkness into the kingdom of his son. That's now. Now. And then we see in 1 Corinthians, verses 15, verses 24 through 26, after he's kind of described the work of Jesus for a while and what's going to be happening, he says, he kind of, it kind of climaxes with this point. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God The kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now we all know that there is still death in this world. We experience it. We grieve. We are... We are crushed when people we love get sick and they pass and they die and it... We know in our hearts that that is not right. It was not meant to be this way. We know it. And the promise here is that death will be destroyed. That's not yet, but it is coming. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet. So what we see now is this ongoing rescue mission where the rule of Christ is undoing the rule of Satan. The the rule that came with the fall. The rule of Christ is undoing that. And in Mark chapter 1 through 6, you kind of see that beginning to take place. Every time you see someone healed, you see sickness destroyed. In that one limited, small example, but it's an example. When we see a demon cast out of someone who it's been tormenting for years, the kingdom of God has come and undone the work of Satan. The work of sin. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to use the term Satan. I'm going to use Satan. I'm going to point to him often. Satan's real, by the way. There is spiritual warfare and all that. I'm going to point to him. But don't get me wrong. Everything that we experience that's bad is not necessarily the devil did it or the devil made me do it. Our own sin, we are very guilty of plenty of stuff on our own through our own sin. That's all. But what you're seeing is like this reversal taking place. The kingdom of God breaking into the world. As it, as it talks about in, in another place, I think it's... Hebrews, it talks about the, 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 the darkness is fading, the light is, is, is dawning, it's coming, it's, it's growing. That's what we're talking about. So, this is an ongoing rescue mission where the rule of Christ is undoing the rule of Satan one person at a time. It is a strategic mission where God sends his people into the darkness. We can't do anything, but God can And does as he dwells in us and with us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? Right. We're taking God wherever we go, yes? And therefore the kingdom of God is there. And though we can't do anything, our God changes hearts through the gospel. 
which, as Paul says, is the power of God for salvation. So let's talk about the gospel for, for, for just a minute. The gospel is the proclamation that God's kingdom is here, that Jesus is Lord and the invitation to be and, and the invitation to be fully restored to God by grace through faith alone and live under his reign by following Jesus. Now, in Mark one, we see that the gospel is a kingdom message and it hinges on the life of Jesus, right? Mark one, that's what he's saying. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John had pointed to it and he prepared the way Jesus is proclaiming it. And you will see this develop all through the gospels. And it, and it becomes the message of all the apostles as they go into all the world. And then everyone who follows them and trusts in Jesus because of the word that they proclaimed is an extension of it. And it continues to spread. Still a battle. There's a now and a not yet aspect to it. But that's how that's what's going on there. Now, the gospel is a very interesting kind of word because gospel is, is an English word. And when the early translators were translating the Bible, translating the New Testament specifically from Greek to to uh, English. They took the word euangelion, which is good news, just the good, the good news, the proclamation. And they t- they said gospel is a good fit for that. Now, gospel is an Anglo, comes from an Anglo-Saxon term, which is God's spell or God's story. So when they thought about this good news, they said, they saw the big picture and it's like, this is God's story. The good news of God's story that has entered this world through Jesus. I thought that was cool. Because I don't think we often, I don't think we often tie the, the idea of the message of the gospel to God's story. This is His story. The gospel isn't about me and you. It's about God and His kingdom and that Jesus is Lord. And guess who gets, gets to be a part of that? Me and you. Because His kingdom on earth means His rescue mission for us. And therefore, we get to be adopted into His family. Through faith in him. Now this might be a little different than what you're used to hearing when you think of the gospel. Because, I mean, I've, I've, been, there, I've been there too. And, and please hear me when I say this. This is not a we've been doing it wrong kind of message. No, 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 no. Not at all. This is, I just want you to see the grander picture when we talk about the term gospel, because the way we've heard it, I mean, I don't know what you've gone through, but I've done the four spiritual laws. I've done evangelism explosion. I've done the Romans road. Um, what else is there? There's the, the gap with the cross between it, right? There's the Awana circle, right? And we go from, from God is holy. Good news, bad news, right? God is holy. He's a holy God. He's a good God. But man sinned, right? There was the fall at the beginning. So that separates us from God. So, so what's needed? We need someone to stand in the gap for us. And that's where Jesus comes in. He came, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, entered this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and invites us to put our faith in Him where all of our sins are forgiven. His blood covers us. His righteousness is applied to us. And therefore, because we have His righteousness, when we stand before God, if He were to ask us, what must you, you know, why should I let you in? 
into my kingdom? You've all heard that. Have you heard that one? Why should I let you into my kingdom? It's nothing because of what we did. It's all because of what he did. And therefore, we will spend eternity with him. That's kind of the, the highlights of all the, all the different kind of gospel presentations. All of that is 100% right. That's the invitation part of it. But there's a, there's, there's a grander picture that puts that invitation within the context of God's kingdom breaking into this world through Jesus. And when we think gospel, I want us to be thinking in those terms, the grand terms. One, one commentator described all of this as to believe the good news is not merely an intellectual task, but involves changing the way we conceive of living so that we order our relationships and plan our days as if the reign of God is a reality and not a pious fantasy. And I think that's kind of what we fall into naturally if we're, if we're not careful. As we think of all of this in, in this terms of almost like a pious fantasy or, or a philosophy of life that makes us good people. And that's not what Jesus said. That's not what he did. He said, this is my kingdom. And my rule and reign. And I'm inviting you to be a part of my rule and reign. In other words, the good news is good for every part of life. This isn't a one and done situation. This is all aspects of who we are. Ordering our relationships, planning our days. That sounds like discipleship. Discipleship is learning to apply that good news to every part of our life. And it begins with a call and a response. Mark chapter 1, 16 and 20, we see this start. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me. There's the call. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. There's our response. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them. There's the call. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And they followed him. The invitation and a response. In chapter 2, we see Levi or Matthew, same situation, tax collector. In chapter 3, we see that there, there are many following him, but he calls out 12. These will be the core of his ministry. And one will, one will betray him. In chapter 6, we see that they are sent out by Jesus two by two. And all along the way, between chapter 1 and chapter 6, they are seeing Jesus work, and they are seeing the response to him. They are seeing Jesus perform miracles, and they are seeing Jesus rejected. They are seeing Jesus healing and forgiving sins, 
And they're seeing the Pharisees coming at him harder and harder. So we're seeing the picture of a disciple develop right before our eyes. So let's define a disciple. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. It's a simple definition, but I think it captures the pieces really well. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus. This is that response. This is that obedience. We, we, we put our faith in him, which means that we trust him. When we trust someone, if they say, this is good, we say, yes, that's good. That's what I'm going to do. If they say, this is bad, stay away from this. We say, okay, I trust you. That's bad. I'm going to stay away from it. Right? That's trust. That's basic trust. And even if it's like, oh, man, I don't understand why this is bad. It's like, no, trust me. This will hurt you. Little Timmy, if you put your hand on that stove, it's going to hurt you. Stay away from it. Trust me. You don't have to learn this the hard way. Many of us learn it the hard way. But we don't have to. That's faith. That's trust. So that's that obedience aspect of it. We follow Jesus. We choose to trust him and follow him. But then there's, there's this thing that happens inside us. Jesus changes us. As we walk with him, as we are in his word, which is how we know what's good, what's bad, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what, what the heart of God is this, is, this is how he has revealed himself and his character. As we're in this, as the Holy Spirit works in us, our desires are conformed to his desires. Our passions are conformed to his passions. Our priorities become his priorities. This is an instant. This is an entire lifetime process. But that is what happens slowly as we pursue him, as we obey him. Our hearts are changed. He says he will conform us to the image of his son. We, become, we begin to look more and more like Jesus. And so we're not just following him and obeying him. We are being changed by him. And those two work together. When, when our obedience is in line, when our hearts are being conformed to him, our mission, his mission becomes our mission. And in Matthew 28, he told us what his mission was. His mission for his church. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's the promise I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So where are you right now? The fact that you are here right now is no accident. The fact that you are sitting beside the people you are sitting beside, that's not an accident. The fact that you are hearing these words, the fact that I, I was looking at these and thinking about these things this week, convicted by some of these things this week, is not an accident. The Lord is working. He's inviting you. Follow me. The call is there. And regardless of whether you've never heard this before, and you're coming at this completely cold, that's the invitation. Or whether you've been walking with Jesus for years and years, but there's still some things that are kind of in the way. He's saying, follow me. Trust me. Come deeper into this relationship with me. It's not an accident that we're here. 
So what are those things? The truth that the kingdom is here, that the gospel is the proclamation of that kingdom, and that that it is also an invitation to enter it, and that by entering the kingdom we are submitting every part of our life to the reign and rule of Jesus, that truth should... It's asking us this question, what's holding you back? What's holding me back? What's holding us back as a body? So let's talk about the obstacles a little bit. What are the things that stand in our way? Well, there's probably a lot. I've got roughly four here. Well, not roughly. I've got four here. But I'm sure there's more. I just know that these four are things that I've experienced in my life and I've seen in other people's lives. And the first one is this. Discipleship, it's inconvenient. Man, is it inconvenient. It interrupts us in the middle of what we're doing. It's a phone call when we're in the middle of something else that we know, oh, this is going to be... This is going to be rough. Or it's, man, I heard someone needs help moving, and I have a truck. You, Those of you with trucks in here, you know what I'm talking about. You know. It's those things. Discipleship only happens in relationships, and relationships are inconvenient. I'm not saying they're not worth it, but let's be honest. Developing new relationships, that's hard. It's messy. It takes time. It's slow. It's a very slow process. And for people who like four points to good relationships, it just doesn't fit into that category, does it? There's conflict. You will not be in a deep relationship with someone and not face conflict with that person. You can't. If you're in a relationship with someone and you never have conflict with them, I'd question how deep that relationship really is. You're just operating on surface-level stuff. At some point, you're going to disagree. And that's messy. That's inconvenient. Look at Andrew, Peter, James, and John. Jesus stepped into their lives, and in the middle of their work, he said, follow me. Inconvenient. Right then and there. What did they do? They dropped their nets and they followed him. That took trust. When we are inconvenienced for the sake of someone else, for the sake of taking God's kingdom to someone who doesn't know God's kingdom, or to someone who does know it, but struggling. Are we willing to drop our nets? Do we trust Jesus that I know I can't change a heart, but he can. And maybe I just need to come into contact with that person and let God do his work. That Isaiah 6 passage we opened up with, I love that passage. Because it completely undermines what the Pharisees had made, and Sadducees and scribes, had made such a big deal. This whole notion of becoming unclean. 
You couldn't touch certain things. You couldn't interact with certain people. You couldn't engage the worst of society. Why? Because they would defile you. You would become ceremonial unclean, ceremonially unclean. And so as you went through the world, you're trying to avoid all the things that will make you unclean. Isaiah walks right into the presence of God and knows he is unclean to the point where it's like he fell down before God. He thought he was dead. He thought this was it. I deserve judgment. This is the end. And what happens? The angel takes a coal and places it to his lips. The coal is not defiled. Isaiah is made holy. And that's how the kingdom of God works. Jesus flipped it. The issue is no longer, will, I, will this defile me? The issue is, are we going to take Jesus, that kingdom, his holiness, into the darkness? Because Jesus interacted with all the unclean people. So, it's inconvenient. But discipleship is also intimidating. I know, I've heard... People feel the the people say I I'm unqualified. Like I'm just not I'm not there. I got to get some stuff straight before I before I'm even qualified for this. Well, let me encourage you. Discipleship is more of a direction than a destination. It's about pursuing Jesus and moving towards Jesus and inviting people to come along with you in this journey. That's discipleship. And if you've been on this journey for 30 years, yeah, you may be further along, but you're not there yet. There is no destination. You can't take courses 101, 201, 301, and 401 and bang, you're a disciple. No, our disciple, our discipleship is we follow Jesus. We are inviting people to come along with that ride. And yes, it's going to be messy because relationships are messy. But that's, that's how it works. We see it with Jesus. We see it with the apostles. How messy was Paul in, in the church at Corinth? In other words, we don't have to have all the answers. You won't, but we don't have to have all the answers. The requirement is to believe that Jesus will use you to do his work. That's the qualification for discipleship. Trust that Jesus will use you to do his work. Between Mark 1 and Mark 6, let's think about this for a minute. Think about the disciples are called in Mark 1, and Mark 6 they're sent out. In, the, in between those two points, what did they see Jesus do? Heal the sick, raise the dead, calm the storm, uh, uh, cast out demons, all of that. Uh, shut the Pharisees down in some brilliant, brilliant argument ways. They try and get him. He has the perfect response and just shuts them down. How intimidated must they have been to be sent out on their own after this is their primary example? You think they were ready after watching Jesus and think, I got this? No. And they went and they came back blown away at what God did through them. And Jesus said, don't celebrate all of that. Celebrate that your names are written in the book of life. But they came back blown away because God used them to accomplish their their goal. We psych ourselves out of obedience and the joy that comes with it. When we think we have to be smarter or better or without failures before we can engage people. 
That's a lie, and we've got to reject it. Then there is this, this obstacle, discipleship's for someone else. And this ties very much into that last one, but it's kind of like, I'm going to leave that to the people who are gifted in that area. That's not my gift. I'm going to stick with couch surfing. God has gifted me with that, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to invite people to surf the couch with me, and that's where we'll be. That's me. I'm, I'm just being honest. Like That's where I would like to be. <laughs> Discipleship is not for the professionals. Mark 5, Jesus heals the man who had been possessed with a demon. And the, man's, and the man at the end of all of this is like wanting to follow him. And Jesus didn't allow him. He said, don't do that. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Discipleship's not a scholar teaching a student the finer points of theology. It's us being willing to share with people what God has done for us. How he's had mercy on us. It doesn't take much qualification to do that. And as we continue with him, we see more and more what God is doing with us. And we get more and more to share. Yeah, there may be times where you're talking theology with something, but there's also going to be times where you're helping them weed a garden. Maybe you're doing it at the same time. Talking theology while you're weeding the garden, or fixing a car, or you know, replacing a glass door in a house, or just grabbing lunch and coffee. I don't know what. What is what does your life look like? That's where it'll happen. Discipleship is inviting someone else to join you in this resurrection journey. What sets a discipleship relationship apart from all those others is that Jesus is at the center of it. And you both are intentional about growing in that relationship. You're inviting someone to be a part of that. Maybe you can show them something. Maybe you can help them with something. As you do that, I promise you, they're going to help you with some stuff. The last one, this is a tough one. Discipleship is about me. What an obstacle to get past. Because it's not about us. We don't seek to make disciples to grow Durwood Bible Church. This is not a church growth strategy. We don't seek to make disciples in order to be a better disciple. This isn't a personal growth strategy. It's not those things. It's not about us, and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. He is the hero of our story. He is always the hero of our story. And that's what we're pointing to. Every year, me and my family go and visit my extended family in Arkansas. That is about an 18-hour drive. 
We split it up between two days. Mayhews aren't here today because they're going to Texas. It's essentially the same drive, just a little further. They do it all in one day. They're nuts, but <laughs> but it's a long drive, nevertheless. And and we're driving this, and the sign that we're looking for is the sign for Hope, Arkansas. It's a pretty cool name in the context of this story, but it's coincidence, right? Coincidence. Is Hope, Arkansas, because that's where my grandma lives. That's where we've been going every year since I was a kid. So we're going to Hope, Arkansas. And as we're roughly 17 plus-ish hours into this drive, we finally see that sign. And when we see that sign, that's when we know we're almost there. There's a level of relief. There's a level, there's a level of excitement. There's a level of, yes, almost there. Just a little bit more. We're jumping off here on some back roads, and then we're at the house. That excitement, that relief, is not about that sign. Who cares about the sign? Right? Who cares about that green sign with white letters that says, Hope, Arkansas, exit, blah, blah, blah. I don't care about the sign. We're excited about what the sign is pointing to. Loved ones, rest from a long trip, fun, food, all of that. That's what we're excited about. That's us. DBC is not the thing to get excited about. I, you, we're not the thing to get excited about. We point to the thing to be excited about. Daniel M. uses an illustration in his book, No Silver Bullets, to describe that, this change in perspective that I'm talking about. The illustration goes something like this. Your work, co-workers, like, oh, I need a cup of coffee. It's like, all right, I'll go with you. Let's go down to the cafe. We'll grab a cup of coffee. We go in, get your cup, set it up there, ready to pay for your coffee. Your co-worker slides his right up there beside you, steps back, and you get charged for his coffee. I didn't sign up for that. What? Now I'm paying for his coffee. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. All right? Scenario one. Scenario two, same thing. Heading down to the cafe, get a cup of coffee. Except in my mind, I say, you know what? I'm going to buy his cup of coffee. I'm going to do that just for the fun of it, just to, just to bless him. I'm going to do that. Coworker doesn't know, slides his cup of coffee up there, steps back, pay for the coffee. Scenario is exactly the same, right? You're out the same amount of money. They did the exact same thing, except you walk away feeling completely different. And one, in one, in the first case, you feel like, man, I've been taken. Like you feel like you leave empty. In the second case, you got some joy. The only difference is the way you approached it. That's the only difference. When we come to this life, when we come to the relationships, when we come thinking, I'm bringing the kingdom. I want to be a blessing. I'm ready to give. As opposed to, I'm not getting what I want out of this. As opposed to, 
mm, that didn't quite meet the standard that I'm looking for. Mm, it's a little inconvenient or whatever. The circumstances don't change. You do. When we all come to our relationship with mission to give, to help grow, then we become a sign pointing to what we all want and need most, what we were all created for, which is relationship with our Creator and Lord. You see, discipleship doesn't need to change. We don't need a new model of discipleship. We just need a new perspective and perception. What will it take for you to feel like you were made for this? Because let me tell you something. You were made for this. You are being called into this mission. Jesus says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you. And I will do the work. Just go. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing privilege it is to be a part of your work. Lord, I don't know where people stand. I don't know where they are with you and their relationship. And so, Father, I pray that this morning, for those whom you are calling to walk deeper, Lord, give them, give them that encouragement. Strengthen them in their, in their spirit through your spirit. If they don't know you, Lord, I pray that today they will, play, they will trust you, that they will put their faith in you, that they will experience what it means to be called by you and to be saved by the gospel of God. Faith through Christ because of his work on the cross. Not mine. Not my words. Lord, my words are nothing. But through Jesus. Father, as, as we continue in worship, as we prepare to go about our week, Lord, let us do it with this, with this mindset. That you have sent us on rescue missions strategically. You have empowered us to do that. And Lord, let us, despite being intimidated, despite it being inconvenient, despite our tendency to make it about us, Lord, help us. To you be the honor and the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.